when you know that there's a big audience out there that's interested in what you're doing, is it hard to block that out and kind of stay true to what you've always done? In short, no. I, nothing's changed. I still think about music the same way. I used to think it's because I can block out the fact that people are listening, but I think it's because I was delusional enough to think that people were listening from the get-go. 93X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast with Stephen Hyden. Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. We have a big show today. We have two guests. Uh, we have Alex G., the lo-fi wunderkind from Philadelphia. He's also on the last Frank Ocean record. He was on like that weird sort of pre-record called Endless. He plays guitar on that. Uh, you may know him from that, or, or hopefully you know him from his own records. Uh, he put up Beach Music in 2015, really great record, and uh, his breakthrough album, DSU, was just re-released. So if you missed it the first time, you can get it this time. So Alex G is on the show, and then we have Riley Walker from Chicago, guitar player extraordinaire, creator of beautiful, folky, jazzy epics, including... His latest record, Golden Sings, that have been sung, uh, came out a couple months ago, and it's one of my favorite records of 2016. Just a beautiful record. So it was fun to talk to him. And um, in case you don't know, this is the season finale of Celebration Rock. After this episode, I'm going to be taking a break, going on hiatus. My wife is having a baby, so I'm going to tend to her and tend to the baby as well. Um, I'm also writing a book right now. It's called Twilight of the Gods. It's about classic rock mythology. So all the things about like albums and rock shows and drinking in the parking lot and all that stuff. And, and where classic rock culture is now uh, in 2016, now that a lot of these rock stars are starting to die off. You know, what's going to happen to this culture for those of us who love it? So that's what that book is about. So I need to write... Well, I'm already writing the book, but I need to finish the book. Uh, so we need to take a little break from the podcast, but we will be back for season two in about maybe three or four months. Like early 2017, we'll be back. And uh, that, our producer, Derek, was was saying that our second season, it's going to be the season where we focus on the dock workers. No stringer bell or anything like that in season two. It's just going to be about the dock workers. So... Uh, might be a little you might take a while to get into it but it'll ultimately be rewarding i promise but enough about season two we're still in season one so let's get to our interviews my first interview is with alex g um i talked to him uh a couple weeks ago it'll be a couple weeks uh, in the past by the time this podcast runs and uh, he was on tour with built to spill and hop along and uh you you know we talked about his creative process and like wh- how he has gotten to where he is right now he's a young guy he's in his early 20s um uh, but you know he's another one of these you know hyperactive creative people that have done a lot of things at a really young age for him that includes you know releasing a series of albums on Bandcamp um and now he has a deal with Domino Records which which put out his last record of course uh Beach Music and he ended up on you know playing with Frank Ocean you know, on one of the year's sort of big releases. So that was a big deal for him. So why don't we get to Alex G right now? Here's my interview with Alex G. Oh, hey, Steve. How's it going? Pretty good, man. How are you? Pretty good. We just pulled up to the venue in uh, Richmond. It's called The National. We're touring with uh, Hop Along and Built to Spill. And how's this tour going? It's pretty good. Uh, you know, it's great seeing those two bands every night. They rock, so uh, it's a pleasure, yeah. And, I mean, I, are you going on first on this tour? Yeah, it's us and Hop Along and Built It Still. And what's that like? I mean, having to go on first, I could see that being tough. Um, no, it's not tough, really. Like, on this tour, I feel like we're paired pretty well like i feel like the people who like pop along and built to spill are receptive to us you know yeah like we've been paired with 
fans sometimes when we're opening and like uh you know our styles kind of clash so people don't really get what we're doing as much but this has been pretty pleasant you know i think we're kind of used to it like we we play first on probably on most of the tours we've done so far like we're we just do a lot of opening spots yeah i mean i remember i saw you in orlando I guess this would have been in March, like six months ago. I think you were touring with Porches. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was like a very strong Alex G crowd. Like the people around me were very into it and singing your songs. And uh, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, um, in those kind of situations, like we were playing live, I mean, with you, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, you made your name, you know, recording album, albums and putting them on Bandcamp. Were you a guy that was playing shows like when you were younger, or did you have to kind of learn how to do that uh, after you made a name for yourself from recording? No, we've been playing shows since I was a teenager, pretty much. Like as soon as uh, like uh, it was before I even got a guitar. I was using my Sam, who plays guitar in the band. I was using his guitar, I remember, and he would play drums, and like we play shows like that since we were like. 14 years old or whatever. So that's what we did first. And then um, I was recording shit at the same time. Just, you know, I was just obsessed with making music and being a part of that scene, I guess. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like, some, you know, a lot of kids, you know, form bands when they're a teenager and they play shows. But, you know, not everyone necessarily gets into recording or writing songs, at least not to the degree that you were. Mm-hmm. What, like, I, I mean, do you did you kind of feel more of an inclination for that, like kind of making records? I mean, I, I mean, it sounds like you liked playing shows, but like, like, what was it about recording and writing that uh, was so like attractive for you? I think it was the ability to like communicate in a really controlled way or something. You know, I could make myself out. I could express whatever I wanted to express, you know what I mean? In the most controlled way. And I could even, and with music, it's almost like you, you have to be on my team or something. You know what I mean? When you hear someone making music and you like the song, you, you kind of agree with them. And I think I was addicted to that. Like just being, uh, well, I mean that essentially I, like, I just wanted to be, cool i wanted to do something that was worthwhile and so i figured out how to do that and i was just addicted to doing it to to that feeling of being like a cool guy who made music or something you know (laughs) i idolized people who made music from when i was a kid so like who are your your heroes at that time like when you first got started i liked um modest mouse a lot when I was getting started in my like Radiohead a lot. And let me think. Apex Twin a lot. You said Apex Twin? I guess Apex Twin, yeah, I guess those three. Because like I because I, I think I read a story where you said that like your early recordings were, were really influenced by Apex Twin, but like it 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 didn't really turn out that well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, like I loved how he's he used the craziest sounds, you know, he was just truly whatever he wanted to do. Probably stuff he didn't even want it to end up that way and it ended up that way and he would just put it out anyway, you know, that's what it sounded like and I thought that was so cool. Like like he was on this other you know, I I, I liked it so much I think because I couldn't understand his process and I thought that was really awesome. And I wanted to make stuff that was as mysterious as that. I mean, like, did you think of yourself as like, a, like, a, like a rock singer songwriter, or did you think in those terms, or did did you just kind of like look at music as music? I mean, did, I mean, was it defined in your mind in that way? It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't like rock star type stuff. I think, I think most people my age probably grew up without. Or actually, I'm not sure about that. This, but. I feel like most of the people I knew grow up without that uh, glamorized image of a rock star, you know, because 
we grew up with music from the 90s and early 2000s where the people making the music weren't painting pictures of themselves as like this fake thing, you know? So I just, I mean, yeah, I thought of it just as music. I don't, I'm not saying that because I thought I'm like, I'm, I'm above the rock star thing or some shit, but like, I think it was just natural for me to not see any of this stuff as like rock, cool rock star thing. It was just like, I love people that were making music. And, and how old were you again when you first started like making records? I guess when I was recording, I, I was 13. That's when we got this, the Macintosh, or the Mac with um, GarageBand and stuff on it. And I mean, it seems like the stuff that you were making, it's not, it, it seems like from the beginning, you weren't necessarily just recreating what you would have been playing live. It seemed like you were really kind of looking at recording as its own sort of art form where you could do anything. I mean, is that pretty fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I, I wasn't trying to um, recreate anything live. Half of that is because it, I didn't have the equipment to make it sound live you know like i i knew what sounded good and i knew if i tried to make it sound as drums bass guitar and just recorded it to the computer it would sound like i recorded that stuff with a crappy mic you know separate tracks or whatever and it just wasn't good so i i wanted to figure out a way to make good sounding stuff without or good sounding stuff that conveyed the same feeling you know, without that traditional setup, because I couldn't really make it sound good that way. Yeah. You know, before you mentioned, like, Radiohead and Modest Mouse as being, you know, sort of pivotal bands for you when you first got started, I mean, I feel like people often liken you to, like, Elliot Smith. That seems to be a comparison that comes up with, you know, with your records a lot. Was 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 he someone that you were listening to uh, in, the, in the early going? Yeah, I, probably not in the early going, but... He was like when I, uh, I guess I'd been doing it for a couple of years and then I found his music and I got, you know, so obsessed with his songwriting and stuff. And so I wanted to make recordings that sounded like him with like some quiet guitar and stuff with like low key drums. And I also, you know, listening to his music, I figured out how useful double tracking all the instruments is, making it sound more present in the recording or something for lack of a better word but yeah i think at the beginning i didn't know his music and the stuff i was making was really like hyper uh weird you know and then i discovered his music and i i found uh i don't know i i think his stuff was able to be interesting even though it was so traditional, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I have to. I would imagine too that the fact that his a lot of his stuff was also home recorded. I mean, did that make an impact right. on you as well? I mean, because like a lot of the, I mean, it seems like now like with a lot of artists that have like put up music initially on Bandcamp, it does seem like there is some sort of inspiration with like a lot of the '90s artists that were doing like lo-fi bedroom recordings outside of regular recording studios. You know, the, the, this idea that you could just make a record on your own and you didn't need a studio. Uh, I mean, that seems like that's been a pretty big inspiration. Yeah, that was a huge inspiration. Like, finding out that he recorded that stuff at home. And so I sort of... I tried really hard to duplicate some of his sounds because I loved them so much, you know? So I think that was a huge influence, you're right. I mean, when you were starting to, you know to record stuff what was your level of an, of ambition you know because i mean i think someone looks at someone like you i mean you've i mean you're still really young and you've already made a name for yourself and you've been making records already for a long time but i mean did yeah. you have an expectation or a hope that anyone would hear this stuff yeah i always wanted people to hear it but i never like sought it out it, it's kind of like a Yeah, like, I wouldn't make it if I didn't want anyone to hear it, you know? And I and my motivation behind all of it was, like, I want to make the best music 
that I could possibly make. You know, I want to make the coolest thing that I could possibly make. But I didn't. Um, I think there, that was like my. Um, like one half of me was saying that, and then there was the logical half of me that's like, you know, most people are going to think your stuff sounds like shit, so <laughs> don't think about it too hard, you know. But there was. But when I was making it, I was so absorbed in it. Like I thought I was doing the best stuff on earth, you know, and that's still how I feel. That's, I think that's what drives me still because in the moment I'm completely like, it's just all I want to do. You know what I mean? And then I step back and I'm like, okay, that's just another song, whatever. Like people probably can take it or leave it. But I think what makes it so easy for me to be productive with this stuff is that it's, you know, makes me feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. I mean, you know, I mean, you're obviously on tour now, so you have a different schedule, you know, because you're on the road, but when you're at home, like what's your daily schedule? Like, are you a guy who's going to get up and, you know, hit record and start laying something down right away? Or do you record in bursts? Like what's your creative process like? It's, it's, it's not really routine. And I, just because I don't even know if I'm just like too immature to have a routine or something right now. I don't, <laughs> but like, I usually do my shit, you know, like right now I can pay my bills and stuff with tour, so I haven't had to work. And I just wake up and then at some point in the day, I'll feel like a, a piece of shit and that I have to do something and then I'll go and just play guitar and record for a while. But it changes every day. You know, some days I don't, do anything and some days from morning to night I'll be recording all day it just depends it's sort of like a reaction to how much uh like anxiety I have or something like not like you know not like a, I'm suffering from anxiety or something you know but I got like that's usually what makes me do it does that make sense like that feeling that you're not doing anything and you kind of have to kick your own ass to exactly to do that's something. it yeah that's it I mean, are you? I mean, my sense of what you do, and I could be totally wrong. You don't seem like a guy who's necessarily thinking in terms of like I'm making a record right now, so I have to record songs. I mean, it seems it seems like you're a guy who maybe just records and has music, and then it eventually gets packaged into an album. Am I wrong in assuming that? I mean, is it more? No, I. Yeah, that's about right. Like, I, I'm focusing more on the song than the thought of. The, how it's going to fit with a record as a whole. You know, I, I'll start a song and then I'll flesh it out only according to the song, and that's all I'm thinking about. And I'm not thinking about the stuff around it. But I, it usually ends up the albums usually end up having like similar subject matter just because of the time frame. And I'm, you know, I'll be hooked on some certain lyrical subject or musical theme, you know, and then I'll. And then it just makes its way into all the songs without me thinking about it. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I, mean I, I mean, would you consider yourself like an autobiographical type songwriter? Like, are you a guy who's like, oh, I'm, I had a fight with my friend, so I'm going to write a song about my friend now? Uh, not really. I think I consider myself autobiographical in the same way that every writer is autobiographical, you know? Yeah. Where I'm, well... You know, I want to make something that's really honest and transcendent of, like, you know, right now. So I think the only way to do that is to refer to myself because that's all I can really trust. You know, I, like, I'm only putting myself in my own shoes all the time, but I'm not lifting, like, some direct experience from my life and just transcribing it. I'm just like, you know, I... I'm changing things either to make it more interesting or to so someone doesn't kick my ass and they find out it's about them or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, and it definitely seems like the music sets the pace for you. Like, there's sinister sounding songs that you have that seem to have maybe like a dark undercurrent in the lyrics and then maybe prettier songs that don't have that kind of thing. I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's definitely fair to say. I mean, like with you know, you said something interesting before about how when you are working on something, you have that commitment to it that like this is the greatest thing that you've ever done. 
Um, <laughs> but I have to imagine that like, as you were kind of evolving and moving through uh, your, you know, your kind of creative life, that there must have been like, some sort of turning point for you where you felt like maybe you had hit a new kind of like plateau or that you really were starting to get good at what you were doing. I mean, I feel like most people first heard about you with the DSU record, which came out in 2014. That was the first one that kind of got a lot of attention. I mean, do you feel like that was a turning point for you creatively or, or did it happen before that? To be honest, my mindset hasn't changed. Like, I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that I've been dumb enough since day one to think that I was good, you know? Like, <laughs> I, like I started out thinking, feeling just as satisfied with my material as I am now. But looking back, I think, you know, I could see how garbage most of that stuff is. But at the time, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think it was the shit, you know. Like, I think I'm pretty hard to motivate. So it kind of has to be that way. I mean, do you think you're just like a naturally confident person or are you are you confident like in this like specific area? I think... I'm not a naturally confident person, and I think it's sort of hyper-focused in this one specific area. You know what I mean? It's like, like I, um, I sort of cling to it out of necessity. You know what I mean? Like, not not like having a pity party or something, but like <laughs> it's something I, I really hold dear. You know, like I, I have to do it. If I wasn't doing it, I don't know what how I I have an identity, you know what I mean? I don't know how what I think about myself. You know, you've, you've said a couple times where you said that, like, you really wanted to do cool shit. Like, that was something that, like, was important for you, that you wanted to, you wanted to do something that, was, that, that would be looked at as cool or that you felt like was cool. Like, how yeah. would you define that? Like, like, how do you know when something is cool? What do you look for in something that, to you, makes it cool? I think... Uh... If it, if someone's, I mean, the cliche one is like, if someone's being honest with themselves and like truly expressing themselves, that is cool. But then there's another side of that, like they have to be doing it in a way that's objectively, not totally objectively pleasing, but you, you know, like if someone writes this really revealing, like, cool, uh, mysterious, or not, you can't be revealing a mysterious, but in a way you can, but, like, you know, if they write this cool song about themselves and they sing it and they're out of tune or they can't play their instrument, then you, I'm not going to like it. So there has to be a degree of, uh, you know, aesthetic quality. And then on top of that, there has to be some real honest like I don't know if it's feeling or what you know but I you know it's hard for me to say but I know it when it's there I know that I like it yeah and all I can I guess I I can define it as like honesty or something but I think that's not true sometimes so I don't know it's I still don't know yeah it's sort of an intangible thing. I mean, there is also an element whenever people talk about musical coolness of something that is not easily uh, maybe accessible or like in your face. Like it's something that you have to kind of seek out on your own and discover. Right. I, I mean, is that part of it for you as well? Totally. Like, totally. Something that you can keep revisiting and like find more. You know, something that has something timeless to it. That's pretty valuable. Like, like for you, I mean, you're in a position now. I mean, your last record, Beach Music, it came out on Domino. Um, you know, you're touring with you know big bands now. I mean, you are a person that's getting well known. You know, certainly in, in indie rock circles. Has that at all changed how you approach music or your own perception of your music? I mean, when you know that there's a big audience out there that's interested in what you're doing, is it hard to block that out and kind of stay true to what? you've always done no i've i've thought about this and i i used to say like no i don't think about it it's always the same but i think what's actually changed or what's 
so in short, no, I, nothing's changed. I still think about music the same way. And I, I used to think it's because I can block out the fact that people are listening, but I think it's because I was delusional enough to think that people were listening from the get-go. <laughs> and that's why. So that's why nothing in my process has changed because it, it feels the same as it did from the beginning. Even, but I'm just as delusional now as I was in the beginning, but I was really delusional in the beginning. I mean, do you think that delusion... Uh, as you call it, I mean, is that an essential part of being a musician? I mean, do you have to believe that? Absolutely, dude. Absolutely, yeah. Because I, bet. I mean, because otherwise you probably wouldn't even try. Exactly, I think that's dead on. Where are you at right now? As far as you know, you know, we were talking earlier about how you're a guy who just sort of records or works on music without necessarily thinking of an album project, like specifically. Uh-huh. I mean, do you have? A lot of songs in in the can. I mean, what have you been working on lately? I've got a bunch of songs. Uh, like, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. Honestly, like, I, I think I can talk about it freely. Like, I'm I'm pretty much done a new album. I just gotta like get it mixed fully, and and it'll probably come out like next springtime. But yeah, like all the material is pretty much done. I just gotta I'm gonna bring it to a gotta. This guy Jacob Portrait, who's really cool, and he's mixing it with me. So, and can you tell me anything about that record? Like, how would you describe it? Or do you have to keep it under wraps for now? I'll just describe. I mean, I don't think I have to keep it under wraps. I'm not sure, but I don't think I have to keep it under wraps. I think, like, basically, it's um, it's a little more like stylistically, it's. It's like, uh, what's the word? Like, straying from my last album and the albums before that. You know, I think it's less focused on guitar, drum, rock, and it's more just sort of following whatever tangent I'm on. You know, and and I guess the subject matter is a little more. Uh, like extreme or something not extreme not extreme like violence and sex and stuff but extreme like the perspectives are more uh like holed up in their corner you know like the perspectives are harder to relate to i guess so as far like like emotionally extreme more like the characters are extreme in the record okay but the yeah, so I so I guess it's emotionally extreme. Where like it just, I think it's like emotionally bipolar, cat, maybe like their highs and yeah, lows. That's it. That's it. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> um, can I ask you about Frank Ocean? How you got hooked up on that record? Is that something you want to talk about, or or, or are you sick of talking about that by now? No, I mean I haven't really talked about it much. His manager just emailed me when we were on tour and uh so i went and recorded with them like so i like it was we were on tour in in the uk and then when we were in london his manager emailed me and we met up and recorded a little bit and then we got to the states got another email and then i'd go meet up i met up a couple different times where they just fly me over to the studio and i'd record on there this stuff it's pretty cool i mean like were you a fan of his before you got that email um like i didn't really know i knew a few of his songs that were pretty famous like there's one called forest gump and another called pink and batchy that yeah like my friends would listen to and i thought those songs were awesome but i didn't really know his stuff very well like, like, do you know why they reached out to you? I mean, I assume that he was a fan of your records. I have no idea. I still <laughs> think it's because, like, he wanted someone who kind of, like, sucked a little bit at the guitar, so he asked me. <laughs> I mean, was that, like, the, 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 the instruction? Like, okay, we want you to play this, but not play it that well. Like, just play yeah. it okay. I actually like, didn't have any instruction. Like, they just would put it on. Uh, he had, like, he would record a 
Well, you know what? I, maybe I shouldn't like talk about his uh, process. He probably wants to keep that a little bit secret or some shit. Yeah. But, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't really get much instruction there. Just you know, play the thing and I play. A, I play on it a bunch of times, and then sometimes they keep the stuff, and sometimes they wouldn't. Yeah. What's interesting? But, yeah, there was. Oh yeah, sorry. Oh, go ahead. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say they didn't give me any instruction. Like I'm not sure what it was they saw in me, but I'm happy they saw something. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you know from how you're describing your next record, it doesn't seem like it's necessarily like a guitar-oriented record. And uh, am mm-hmm. I right in, on that? I mean, it sounds like you're not necessarily just writing kind of rock songs. It's, it seems like it's maybe all kinds of music on there, or maybe a little bit more towards yeah. the electronic side of what you do. Well, no, there is. It's it's actually less electronic. Or no, I don't know. No, it's about the same amount of you know, electronic versus acoustic as the last one. But uh it's and there's still guitar on most of the songs, if not all of them. But it's definitely not the focus. You know, it's just the guitar's just there to flesh out the chords, you know, and there's there's other instruments too. Yeah, it's a, it's not I wouldn't say it's like guitar centric. Yeah. Or dude Maybe it's guitar centric because there's guitar in every one, but well, I, it, there's no solos or any of that. Well, I guess like my, my, you know, my my bigger point is that like you don't seem like a guy who's necessarily like you don't feel obligated to write like well I, this is the kind of songs I write I, I write rock songs or I, or, or I write folky kind of indie rock songs. Right. It, it seems like as far as like you with writing music or in this when you're recording, you're just looking at it strictly as just, I'm making music and I'm going to do whatever it is. I feel like doing yeah absolutely yeah and i i usually just stick to guitar because you could just go from chord to chord without thinking and it's like the easiest instrument for me to play you know yeah well i'm excited to hear it and uh it sounds like you know hopefully you know by early next year or, or spring of next year we'll all be able to hear it so uh um alex it's been great talking with you otherwise and uh fan of your records and looking forward to hearing more Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, thanks for talking to me. All right, that was Alex G. On the road with Built to Spill and Hop Along. I don't know if he still is on the road with those bands, but if he's not with those bands, he's probably touring with somebody else. And if he's not touring with somebody else, he's hopefully finishing off that record that he was talking about. Really excited to hear that. So that was Alex G. Now we're going to talk to another industrious 20-something-year-old musician, Riley Walker from Chicago. Um, he's become a big part of sort of the experimental music scene there. Uh, as he talks about in this interview, Riley, you know, he's from Rockford, Illinois originally. Started out as a punk rock fan, listening to like Black Flag and the Circle Jerks. And then eventually takes a left turn into sort of rustic Americana music, you know, listening to John Fahey, the great acoustic guitar player. And being led down sort of the weird paths on that side of the equation, you know, of, of weird kind of jazzy folk music. And he's gotten to the point now, he's, he just put out his fourth record a couple months ago, again, it's called Golden Sings That Have Been Sung. And um, it's really a beautiful record. I mean, there's guitar on the record, but the guitar is not the focus. It's not about guitar solos or anything like that. This is a record where it's really about sort of creating a beautiful sound that's really full and big and then also finding the spaces in the in the music you know of, uh, it's very expansive very very sprawling kind of music with great bass lines and smoky vocals and it's the kind of music that you want to just sit in, in a quiet space and listen to it and let it wash all over you uh Riley is a really funny guy. He's got a lot of... Uh, he's not like the records. Like, you'd expect him to be sort of a brooding character. But in conversation, he's very funny and uh, very chatty. So, uh, I really like talking to him. Uh, I think he's uh, definitely one of my... Uh, he's one of those guys that I I feel like I'm going to be listening to for the next, you know, 20 years. I really think he's got a lot of great records in him. So... We talked a lot about that. We talked about his process and, and all that good stuff. So uh, 
enough of me babbling. Let's get to uh, Riley Walker. So are you on the road right now? Are you in San Francisco? Or are you about to leave for San Francisco? I leave this evening. I'm flying out there. I'm just hanging at home for the time being. And home for you is Chicago. Chicago, Illinois, USA. <laughs> and are you, you're, you're from Chicago originally, right? No, I'm from Rockford, like an hour away. Okay. Where Cheap Trick is from. Exactly. Oh, I, I definitely know Cheap Trick is from uh, Rockford. And now I know that you're from Rockford. So it's like the cheap... I would not have made a, a degree of separation between you and Cheap Trick. I think there's many, many, many degrees between us. You know, we don't hang out and go to bars together or anything. See, I I have this fantasy that every musician from Rockford hangs out together. So, like, in my mind, it's like you and Robin Zander are, like, splitting pizzas together and, uh, you know, watching football or something, watching Bears games. No, they're just kind of getting royalty checks and playing the hits at, you know, barbecue festivals. <laughs> it's a bit different. You know, man, when you grow up in Rockford, you're kind of like, this city sucks, and it's bummer, there's no musicians. But uh, after I moved out of Rockford, I found out there was just so many good musicians from there, you know, like uh, yeah, Weasel Walter, or like this guy, Leroy Bach. I mean, all these great like, Chicago man, musicians, jazz musicians are from there. It, it takes, you got to leave the city to kind of appreciate it, I guess. And how long have you been in Chicago now? Uh, shit, next, can I swear? Sorry. Oh, yeah, you let it rip. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, next year will be 10 years. Wow, time's going by. And, and like, what, what brought you there? I mean, because are you, I'm guessing you're around 27, 28? I'm 27 at the time of this phone call right here. And, like, did you move to Chicago for college? Well, you know, I grew up so close to it. So, I mean, Rockford's not a suburb. It's kind of like the anti-suburb, I like to call it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's its own place, you know. Uh, but, you know, it was only like an hour and some changed car rides. You know? So I grew up coming here all the time. You know? And then, you know, once I was able to drive, I would come here, you know, every single weekend to go to gigs. So it, it's just kind of one of those cities, you know. It's like if you're from the area, you know, you either, you know, you, you have a kid when you're 17 and get a, you know, a union job, like a Bruce Springsteen song, or, you know, you move to Chicago. You know, it's kind of like what happens. So it's just kind of a natural thing. You know, I went to Chicago to go to school for a bit, but I quit shortly thereafter. And what school did you go to? At first I went to Columbia College, which is like, you know, a super bunk liberal arts school. I did so horribly in high school. I, you know, basically got an equivalency degree, degree, excuse me. And, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't, I literally couldn't get into anywhere. So this is like a college. It's like, well, if you're dumb enough to take out the loan, then like, yeah, we'll let you come. So I went there for, uh, I wanted to be a writer. Uh, I wanted to like be a television writer. I was a really big fan of like comedy when I was a kid. I really wanted to write for like TV or something, but that didn't really pan out. It was just kind of a pipe dream. So I quit. So like, like what were your shows at that time? Like what, like who did, like what was your vision of like, you know, like of a TV comedy at that point? I was really into that show, like, you know, like the young ones or, you know, like Saturday Night Live for, you know, Mr. Show, Kids in the Hall. I, I was like a really big fan of sketch comedy when I was growing up my whole life and, and movies for that matter, too. I was, I, I played music my whole life growing up, but I didn't really take it seriously, actually. I mean, I was like in bands in high school, you know, we did like little small tours. But that was kind of like a fun thing. I, I really wanted to like be involved in media somehow or, you know, like uh, television or film. Wow, God, that was a lifetime ago. <laughs> and when did you make that transition from being like a budding TV writer to being a musician? I mean, I started taking music more seriously, I think, when I was about you know, 18, 19, was in Chicago. I started seeing gigs like every single night, and I was like, well, I could, you know, I, I mean, music is a shit business, man. But, uh, I mean, television is like a really shit business. God, that's like... <laughs> God bless everybody who can make it happen somehow, you know. But so I quickly realized I just wanted to be more involved in music. I guess that kind of came a bit easier, you know, like uh, my aspirations for music. So I just started going to a bunch of noise shows in Chicago all the time. Uh, I think, because I mean, I grew up like, you know, I was doing like Sonic Youth fan, you know, kind of your classic 101, like weird indie rock bands growing up, you know. 
and, and I think I just kind of ventured out. And when I was about 18 years old, I started going to like all these warehouse shows in Chicago. And uh, something about how creepy it was and how weird it was and how hush-hush the whole thing was. And like, you know, you had to find it. It wasn't going to find you. It, the whole thing was amazing. It was just such a, a – this is like – you know, oh seven, oh eight. I like to call it like the the pizza cassette years. <laughs> you know, there was like this big budding, you know, like cassette culture thing, which still happens now. I know people are still doing cassettes, but it's like on its last leg. You know, this is like the prime. Like, you know, there was an op-ed like cassettes are back. You know, like remember that era of like, hey, like there's a cassettes are the thing kids are doing now. Right, right. Like I was like in the total thick of it, and. I remember, like, every single... Who was big at the time? This is like, uh, you know, when bands like Animal Collective like, were at their peak. So, like, you know, you go to a house show and there's a fucking kid with a tom drum, like, yelling through a delay pedal. That's, like, what every <laughs> single band sounded like. I mean, for better or worse, there's a lot of good people who did it. But, you know, this is, like... I, I was in Chicago at the right time. Like, underground music was just kind of, like, at a, at a really... You know, the bubble is, like, super, super inflating, you know? And, uh, I mean, seriously, like, uh, you could go to a house show every single night. Everybody had cassettes. Everybody wore, like, shirts with, like, pizza and, like, you know, like, uh, everything had, like, a weird sense of humor with it, too. This is, like, the start of the era of, like, when people, like, this is right when, like, people start being called, like, hipsters. You You remember this, like, 07. Like, I was just right there in the middle of, like, hipsters are, like, dumb asshole kids, you know, and they're all, like, talking about pizza and they have cassettes these goddamn hipsters you know i was like right there you know were you a dumb and asshole I, kid yeah of course i still am i mean <laughs> I'm a, i guess i'm a grown man now yeah you're I'm, dumb. Sorry I'm going off i'm sorry i'm going off i'm just trying to paint the picture of what chicago was when i first went there yeah well it's interesting um, how you're talking about it because i feel like i mean would you say that it's uh, it was better then than it is now or like how's it changed since then there I don't know if it's better or worse. I'm just honestly kind of out of the loop now. But, I, I mean, then it was just really, I, I think, uh, you know, like, again, like I said, like, cassette culture was back. It was, like, in its second infancy, you know. This, like, 07, 08 era of, like, still just, like, there, social media isn't, like, the thing. It's just awesome, you know. And to see, like, music, like, still just just about to burst until, like, you know, everybody has, had different, you know, outlets of reaching fans or something. It was like kind of the last, the last, you know, thing of like word of mouth. With like it was on its last legs, you know, only strictly word of mouth. And there was so much creativity going on then. And I guess I'm just nostalgic for being 18 again. That's kind of what it boils down to. But I mean, nowadays it's as good as ever. You know, there's so much good tunes these days. I, I think I'm just getting to the age. I just turned 27, like, where I remember Chicago being a different place, you know. And, right. and, I mean, I have a lot of friends, obviously, who are a lot older than me and seen things come and go for, you know, decades. But I, I'm starting to feel old for the first time. And, like, I remember when, you know, the scene in Chicago was a completely different thing. I remember when neighborhoods were a different place, where it wasn't, you know, like, third-wave coffee, like, right in your fucking face the whole time. I remember <laughs> certain parts of the city being different. And I guess I'm just starting to feel old, and I can't drink as much because I get too fast in it, you know, like things like that. Right. I see. I, I see. I imagine like when you were 18, that there were probably 27 year old dudes hanging out who were talking about like the late 90s and like how the 90s were different than how it was when you were 18, and now you're 27, and you know, it's like, well, in the late 2000s, it was different than it is now. Like it, it, it is that sort of cyclical thing with that with that kind of uh, remembrance. I think. Oh yeah, that's. That's a really great point. I mean, when I was, and also like when I was 18, I remember being like, oh my God, like I hang out with 27 year olds. It's so cool. And now, like, when I see an 18 year old, I'm like, oh, my God, go away. I can't be your friend. We have nothing <laughs> in common. But yeah, you know, I remember guys that, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, they're like, ah, oh, man, I saw like, you know, I took 217 and Tortoise and Jim O'Rourke at Rainbow, like, you know, for free once a week. It was great. And I was like, ah, pining for the late 90s in Chicago. And I was just there. You know, 2007, when, you know, I, I remember seeing, you know, like, uh, Wolf Eyes and Lightning Bolts, like, in the same show at a dumpy warehouse. And, you know, just, like, cool stuff like that. And now I'm older and uh, nostalgic, and I guess I'm getting... I'm not cranky yet, I hope. No, you you, you don't seem cranky. You seem... I'm very... optimistic. I'm more optimistic than ever. <laughs> 
how did you hit upon your musical style? I mean, I, I feel like people know you as a guitar player, um, and there's you know there's a folk element to what you do, a psychedelic element. There's also a jazzy element that sort of confluence of styles. When did that start to sort of uh, materialize for you? Well, I mean, I, I feel like it's still it's always a work in process. You know, I'm always learning, but I, I guess. When I was about 18 or 19, you know, obviously, like, the the entry point into, you know, finger-plucking, you know, dude with an acoustic guitar is John Fate. That was a big one. I, I don't think I have much to do with that sort of thing now. But I, I remember my exact lineage was, like, because I was a huge Sonic Youth fan. I got really into Jim O'Rourke's records. And Jim O'Rourke had this record, Bad Timing. You ever heard that record? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorite albums of all time. So to this day, it's it's great. But I remember, like, reading in, like, Wire or one of those music magazines. He was like, yeah, what's well, the John's, like, you know, kind of my homage, tip of the hat to John Fahey. So I got really into that. And I was just getting super stoned at the time, having this, you know, dumpy little apartment with my three other friends in Chicago. And I was just, you know, woodshedding nonstop. And that just kind of led to, like, you know, a rabbit hole of, like, you know, discovering... You know, things like, I mean, think records like The Residents or Tim Buckley or Burt Yanch and all that. And, and I guess I really just clinged on. I, I always liked singer-songwriter music my whole life. But, you know, I guess I really, really, really clinged on to it, um, you know, in my late teens, early 20s. And I, and I just became fascinated by it. And that's all I, you know, that's all I would do is just sit at home, play along to records. And, but at the same time, you know, I, I was discovering my, I guess, discovering my voice and music at the same time I was like a noise band, too. So the two kind of went together, you know, I, I didn't have like a, you know, a Bob Dylan-esque, like, you know, I want to walk in Woody Guthrie's shoes. <laughs> I was listening to you know, a lot of Tim Buckley records at the same time. I was listening to, you know, like Merzbau records or Fenez records or whatever. So everything just kind of came together. I mean, before that, I was just like... Yeah, I grew up like on a ton of indie rock and stuff like that. You know, nothing too far out. I didn't have parents like. You ever talk to people like, yeah, when I grew up, like my dad had like John Coltrane and Love Supreme. It's like, what? Do you know what, like the, you know the people I had to talk to for years just to find out anything cool in music. It's like it was just in your lap when you were a child. You know, so I'm rambling now. It's just uh, I love music so much. I mean, do you think that's actually true? I mean, I'm always amazed when I hear. I mean, I'm sure it is on on some level, but you know, like. Like, like my parents were playing me like Ario Speedwagon records. I mean, they, they 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 were not playing John Coltrane. Like, do parents like that actually exist, or is this like a figment of people's imagination? They exist, but like you know, the hustle of finding music when your kid is like, you know, for me at least, is part of my upbringing. Sam, are you from? Where are you from? I'm from Wisconsin. Yeah, so like you know, we're Midwest. Like our parents, you know, Ario Speedwagon. You know, the most far out record might have been like. You know, Pink Floyd's greatest hits, not even like an actual album, you know, <laughs> right. or like, you know, Pink Floyd, uh, you know, like one of the one of like the crappy late 80s, 90s records, you know, Division Bell actually isn't that. Don't keep it wrong. That's another podcast, though. Um, Are you going to defend yeah. it? You're going to defend Division Bell? Dude, Division Bell is one of the most undersung masterpieces of Pink Floyd. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that record. I think it's absolutely stunning. The only thing it has wrong with it i think is like how crappy it's recorded it just sounds like crap but the the songwriting is all there it's beautiful i think as long as you ignore the lyrics of like david gilmore era like like after waters left and it was because it was like a momentary lapse of reason and then division bell like if you ignore the lyrics those albums are are are, are pretty okay i like that song high hopes high hopes is in yes on division bell. that's a good I've song i've met somebody i've met somebody <laughs> I've been looking for you my whole life. Well, it, see, this is where we commune. This this podcast, it was a confluence of us living our lives for the past 20 years, liking that yeah. record. Uh, and it led us to this point where we could say, wow, you're a guy who appreciates this album too, this like uh, third-tier Pink Floyd record that no one cares about. It's a true album for the head. Anyways, <laughs> where were we? I'm sorry. You were just talking about how like growing up, uh, in Rockford, it was hard to find sort of the like the cool obscure stuff, or like you know, because you you kind of have arena rock or FM rock pushed on you a lot, and just it sounds like that was a journey for you to discover a lot of that stuff. 
Yeah, but that, that's totally crucial, man. I mean, I wasn't even... I mean, Rockford, as big of a city as it is, there's like, I don't know, like 300,000 people or something. It's not like a city full of culture, you know, even like a city like Madison, which is close by, you know, it's full of cool record stops or, you know, like bohemian, you know, students smoking cigs and being like, you know, like there's none of that (laughs) in Rockford growing up. There's just like assholes and, you know, kind of weirdly conservative people who have no idea why they're conservative. You know, it's, there wasn't a lot of Were you like a hippie kid in high school? No, I was not a hippie. I was so anti-hippie, which is funny now because, like, I'm probably the biggest fucking Wookiee hippie I can think of now. <laughs> but, no, because I, I was super into punk in high school. Okay. I was way, way into punk. And I, I got really, like, hardcore, and I was like, you know, that's just your skateboard, you know. We skateboarded a lot, so we kind of found a lot of music through the videos, obviously, and stuff. But that's what's funny, like, about... I mean, just kind of a side little anecdote, like, there's like a big, uh, put, I don't know, push or a scene. There's like so much, uh, kind of emo music happening now, you know, like a lot of great emo bands coming back and doing their thing now. And I have like a soft spot for it now, but like when I was growing up, like anything to do with the word emo was just reviled by my friends. That was like, you know, you might as well have, you know, just, you know, come to school uh, and punched me in the face. Like, <laughs> you, you could have done that, and I couldn't have hated you more. I mean... Well, that was sort of like the last kind of wave of, like, bands that MTV cared about. You know, like those... Or like, the, like, Fall Out Boy and Panic at the Disco. Like, those bands yeah, were kind of everywhere. It was kind of easy to hate it, because... Or even, like, Good Charlotte. I mean, they're more on the, the pop-punk side. But, like, at the time, it was sort of oppressive because they seem like they're everywhere. Although you look back now and you're like, oh, there were rock bands that people cared about that were big. You know, it, it seems kind of like a novelty in a way. Um, but yeah, at the time, it was like, God, it, it was like the hair metal of early 2000s. Oh, um, yeah. And I missed out on a lot of good music because of it. I don't know why we got on this tangent, but I mean, seriously, when I was in high school, like anything, like I, I, I never even listened to Elliot Smith until I was like 19 because he was associated with emo, you know, like. Like, you emo fucking prick, you know, like, oh, my God, like, why are you crying? Like, I remember, like, openly making fun of my friends who, like, you know, whatever you want to call emo music. And now it's like, I feel like I was a pregnant mother who was smoking in the 60s. Like, I didn't know at the time, you know. (laughs) And it's so funny how, like, you know, they kind of have the last laugh now. They're, like, the biggest, you know, indie rock bands in the world. And here I am struggling to make a 100 bucks at a gig. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to see what's changed since I was a kid and how my life has changed and my perspectives on things have changed. Anywho, no, I was a uh, super into punk rock in high school. I was like, you know, like, like black flag circle jerks, you know, ride a skateboard to school kid. And, uh, you know, cause it, uh, it might seem strange to people that you would start there and then you're playing the kind of music you are now. Like what was the bridge there? I mean, was it just a matter of sort of tiring of, hardcore and wanting sort of the opposite of that like how'd you kind of lead away from that uh, i think once i'm into chicago i kind of realized i wasn't uh as cool or like I, I i didn't really fit in with that sort of crowd i mean i love that music still but it's it wasn't something i wanted to pursue you know um i feel like i had such a diverse palette of music in my late teens i'm so thankful for there's this, you know, when you grow up, you kind of, when you grow up without, you know, a lot of access to different music, I was lucky enough, like, you know, I found a guy. I found a guy who worked at this shop called CD Source in Rockford. And I remember, like, looking through, you know, trying to find, like, a Zeppelin record. So I was a teenager, and he's like, hey, man, if you like Zeppelin, you should check out, uh, you know, um, you, know, you should check out 13 Floor Elevators, like a really cool band. And I, I had this guy just, like, feeding me seeing me weird music all the time you know i remember getting like the public image limited metal box when i was like 15 because i wanted like a sex pistols record he's like no man you should check out metal box by pio man this shit is gonna like deep fry your brain <laughs> and, and that just eventually led into like so much different music so while i came up on punk rock i was i kind of i guess i got my first taste in like record collecting you know and that just led to like a rabbit hole of just so much cool different stuff you know, even amongst my friends who, like, we kind of had different music tastes than most of our peers, I was just, like, 
had this breath of like, yo, man, you got to check this out. Like, this is far out. And I guess I just started playing acoustic guitar so much more and I was, yeah, I got really into like Burt Yanch records, like I said, and that just made me want to go down this path of, you know, kind of doing the songwritery thing. Yeah. Well, and gonna, well, I was going to say, like, before you were talking about how you always kind of had an affinity for singer-songwriter-type records, but, you know, what's interesting about your records, you know, when you think about singer-songwriters, there's that sort of archetype of a, you know, a person playing the acoustic guitar, and it's austere, and it's about lyrics, and it's about... Uh, intimacy and uh, sort of a stripped down pr- uh, production and in your records I, I feel like it's as much about the sound as your lyrics uh, you know you kind of create especially in your, on, on the on the latest record there is almost like an orchestral quality to it it's, it, there's this, it just sprawls and there's like a lot going on musically um, I mean you think that's a fair assessment I mean I feel like you're more you're as much of like a sculptor of sound as you are like a songwriter guy I mean, that's a really nice thing you say. I think that is kind of something that we do go for on the record. And I think on the new one especially, man, like, I mean, I love playing guitar. That's that's really all I have. I don't have chops and shit. I'm just trying to get more into, like, the songwriting as a whole. I mean, there's so many great guitarists out there now. Like, a lot of them I call my friends, you know, and I just, I don't really know if I have it in me to be, like, a screeching guitar die you know and i'm I'm trying to just kind of pare things down and make it about the sound as a whole and like the song as a whole rather than being like a, a guitar record i just don't think that's something i'm particularly good at i'm working on my next record right now and i'm just i'm trying to get better and better man i think i've gone through so much trial and error and what i'm going for but i finally feel like i'm hitting a stride that i really enjoy and i really like writing the sort of lyrics i'm writing right now and so it's like so much trial and error and so much, you know, anxiety and, you know, like losing my mind over trying to just figure out what the hell I want to do exactly. But it's exciting. And as long as the check clears at the gig, I'll keep doing it, I hope. <laughs> well, you mentioned earlier, like, like like Leroy Bach being another guy from, from Rockford. And I know that he uh, is all over your latest record. And, of course, Leroy ba- Leroy Bach, for those who don't know, was uh, he's probably best known for being in Wilco. He was in Wilco around like Yankee Hotel, Foxtrot era, and he's still a big musician around Chicago. And um, again, like, and your latest record is my favorite record of yours. Like the first record that I heard, I believe was your third record. That'd be Primrose Green. That's your third sure. record, right? And yeah. um, which seemed like maybe more of a guitar record than this latest one. Like, this this latest record really does kind of have this, like, lush feeling to it. Like, there's great, like, bass sounds on it, and uh, it has, like, a real kind of jazzy, wandering quality to it. Um, can you talk about that? I mean, because, again, you are known as a guitar player, but you, I think, unlike a lot of sort of guitar-playing people right now, like, you, there's a lot going on around the guitar. Like, you're not really a guy who's going to show off his chops or, or or even put the guitar at the forefront it is kind of all like about this sort of wall of sound in a way yeah i mean it's definitely you know kind of like the space between the tunes i didn't want it to be so busy i think the last record the primrose green record was just kind of too busy in a lot of ways and kind of not really me it was kind of a, a like a a nice Halloween mask or something. I feel like being like, Hey man, remember the sixties? Check it out, dude. And <laughs> I, I think that was like a huge point in making this new record. But I want this just, you know, to be, I mean, my reality is the only thing I have. So why the hell not write about it? And so I just want to be based on that. And I want everything to be slower and groove, like a slow groove. You know, I think, you know, that, uh, Mark Hollis record, like the guy from Talk Talk, Mark Hollis. Yeah. Like his solo record, I forget, maybe it's self-titled, but I listen to that a lot, and there's just these beautiful, just slow passages, and just a lot of orchestrations, you know, it's not so dense with information, it's just like, you know, it's telling somebody something without, you know, giving them everything, you kind of like have to figure the space out in between the notes yourself. And I think that was really inspirational to me. You know, hear these slow, burning, groovy songs. It's just about this past, you know, it's about a nice, you know, broad stroke. Um, I didn't want it to be so loaded with, you know, uh, 
micro compositions. I just wanted there to be like a nice build and everybody working together. Everybody take a nice, lovely stroll in the park as one. <laughs> I mean, you were kind of hard on your last record, I think, there. just now. I'm going to defend your own music to you. I, I, I think Primrose Green is a really great record, too. It's much different than this latest one. But, I mean, do you feel that in the past you've had to sort of, you know, battle against being like feeling derivative? I mean, do you feel like some of your older records are a little derivative and that you're moving maybe in more of like a, well, this is like a Riley Walker record and not something else that I'm trying to do on these other records? Yeah, I mean, and I appreciate, I mean, I don't think anybody's wrong to like the record. I like that record too. I think, you know, just like you said, I want to make my own tunes and uh, that just comes with getting older and I guess working at it harder. I mean, I work my ass off so much, you know, I'm on tour like 250 days out of the year. And so I, you just get better and more confident, I guess, in your own self doing that. So I definitely want there to be, you know, I mean, obviously, I'll, I'll always love what I love. I wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for listening to my favorite records like anybody else. But, you know, in the end, I, I just really want to make, you know, kind of slow-burning songs that are just, you know, that are funny. I, I like sense of like having a sense of humor in the music, too. And I just want it to be me in the end, and I want to really enjoy it. And it's really fun for me to do this. You know, I'm so lucky to get to travel a lot. But yeah, man, I just I want to make my own tunes. I want a Riley Walker record, you know? Yeah. Well, your latest record, again, that's called Golden Sings That Have Been Sung. It's one of my favorite albums of 2016, so... Really? Yeah, I mean, I love this record. I've been listening to it a lot. This is like one of those, you know, I don't, okay, I don't want to be like the stereotypical like uh, 39-year-old man here, but it is one of those records that like... I wanted to get I got it on vinyl so I can listen to it on vinyl in my office. Oh, and, thanks, man. That's chill really out. cool. Like I don't want to be like, yeah, man, you got to listen to it on vinyl to appreciate it. Like I hate that kind of thing, but like it is like one of those kind of contemplative albums that you just want to put on and listen to it and let it wash over you rather than just putting it on in the background while you're doing something else. Like this is like a focus kind of That is really record. nice of you to say. I mean, I've I've struggled so hard and in the USA to like, you know, really make shit happen. And I feel like I'm finally like all the work's paying off. So I really appreciate, you know, a, a great journalist like you here in the States being like, I loved it. I'm like, well, shit, thanks, man. You know, I appreciate you. Well, hey, you did all the work. I just had to listen to it. So thank you for doing all the work so I could listen to it. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, Riley, thanks again, man. And uh, uh, you're going to be playing here in a couple of weeks. So um, we'll hopefully uh, be able to say hi in person then. I would absolutely love that. That'd be so fun. All right, man. Well, take care. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. It's it's really phenomenal. Really, I mean it. Well, see, everyone that's a fan of this podcast, you will eventually be a guest. So. <laughs> oh, great. Cool. That's the new policy. So, all right. Well, hey. Many guests. <laughs> all right, Riley. Take care. Peace. All right, that was Riley Walker. His latest record, Golden Sings, that have been sung. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I like it a lot. I uh, I think it's one of the best records of 2016, as I told Riley uh, himself. Uh, so, guys, that's it. That is it for season one of Celebration Rock. This is our last episode of 2016. I just want to take the opportunity to thank you all for listening. Uh, it's been great doing this. You know, like when I started the podcast, it was my hope that, you know, a dozen people would listen you know you never know who's going to show up when you start doing something like this so the fact that like people listen to it and they seem to enjoy it and they come back every week even people i know like i've talked to listeners who they don't even always know who i'm talking to or what i'm talking about but they'll still check it out because they trust the podcast and they enjoy it and that makes me feel really good and i'm so grateful that you guys are here and that you you've uh created this community around the podcast and i promise that we will be back soon with more podcasts more conversations uh and hopefully we can turn you guys on to more great music and i I just want to tell you too that please say stay subscribed to the podcast um because that's the best way to know when we will be back i promise in early 2017 that there will be a new episode in your podcast queue and then from then on, we'll be, we'll be back again every week. So please stay subscribed. And, uh, you know, and, and, and please keep spreading the word about the podcast. You know, we're going to have 
I think around 37 or 38 episodes archived. So if people haven't discovered us yet, there's a lot to dig into. So please keep spreading that Celebration Rock gospel. Um, Otherwise, guys, it's been a great season. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will see you guys next year.